Grapple fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Meltzer Five Star Project, the project within the larger framework of the Let Me Tell You Something podcasting universe, in which myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co-host Lorcan Mullen, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host Silent Cross, talk about a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. We're into the second part of a double bill for one of our fellow countrymen, as he followed up last week's five-star match with another five-star match even less than a week later in his terms but a week later in our episode release terms simon what match are we talking about today uh we are talking about zach saber jr he beat will osprey in the previous round as we all saw and his reward was a match against shingo takagi so he beat the second IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, and now he's got to beat the third IWGP World Heavyweight Champion in order to earn the right to a championship match against the fourth and current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Kazuchika Okada. Although he also has to win a tournament final against the winner of Okada Naito, which was Naito, which means beating the last IWGP Heavyweight. <laughs> uh, oh no, sorry, Ibushi was the last IWGP Heavyweight Champion, technically. But a lot of a lot of champions he's got to beat to get the where he is. Yeah, and as we were saying last week, this has been like a. It felt at the time like an ascendancy. In the time between we recorded that episode and recorded this episode, the fallout of Zack Saber's tournament New Japan Cup victory has come and gone. Did you watch the match, Simon? I didn't. I do know the result though. It wasn't a bad match, but it wasn't. Some exceptional, this is the beginning of a new main event period for Zack Sabre Jr. It felt very, it felt like Zack was working within an Okada match, not Okada working within a a new, what a Zack main event match would be. Mm. So it can't help but feel a bit deflating in hindsight now watching this match and talking about it. But it's against the man that, to many people, was the best wrestler of the year last year. The man who kept the ship afloat after all the title turmoil and what have you in Shingo Takagi. I think he had the most five-star matches last year. It felt like it was either him or Osprey, And Osprey was off for an extended period of time with an injury. I'm I'm pretty sure it was Shingo. Mm. But, as we say, this is Shingo more in a supporting role in the sense of he's helping put Zack over in the end. What I noted as like the key themes of this match are, one of the things it does, and it's something that I like how New Japan do, they book tournaments as stories that carry over. Uh, one of the things that I noted was that they, the match that they were alluding to in the previous round that led to a more quick call for a submission victory for Will Ospre- for Zack Sabre Jr. against Will Ospreay, was actually them not stopping a match between Will Ospreay and Sonada quicker in the previous round. So Will Ospreay almost sowed his own fate with his actions in that one. With this one, the key thing that they're putting across is that Takagi's coming in this walking wounded. He's picked up injuries along the way. It's sort of like how... 
Okada just got gradually more and more banged up in some of the recent G1 climaxes. There'd be like more tape over his body with each match. With this one, the key to the story at the start of it is Takagi's neck is really messed up. And he's wet immediately, Zack's going for cravats, he's going for neck cranks, he's going for, you know, like that thing he does with his ankles, trapping the yes. neck. Yes, yeah. And See, I, I call that a neck crank in of itself, but it's sort of... It's like, uh, there's always like a great move on some of the wrestling games where they do that with like a leg as well, like like a tweak more than anything, really. Whatever, he, whatever part of his body he uses to target a limb or an appendage of someone else's body, he, he you know, it'll hurt. doesn't matter if it's, you know, using his legs, using his arms, his head. He'll find a way. He is the Swiss Army knife. Yes, but what is also curious is that his strategy shifts as the match goes on and that he takes into account what Takagi is doing. So at the start, he's going after the neck, but around the middle portion of the match, he switches his attention to the arm. Mm. And he starts targeting Takagi's arm. And then he captures him in that nasty submission holds where they're essentially, they've got both their arms pulled back on them. And Sabre often does a bit where he'll clasp his own hands behind his back to maximise the stretch and also give him a tight base. that You know, a lock that's almost unbreakable. Mm. And throughout all of that, Takagi holds on, holds on, and holds on, and reaches the ropes. And at that point, it seems like Zack realizes I may not be able to get this guy to submit. And so then he starts going for pins and cradles. And so that's really the course of the match is how Zack can shift his strategy. And then by the end of the match, he's just clinging on for dear life because he knows that Takagi's overpowering him. He's getting the better of him. He's in real trouble. So then, at the end of the match, he just clamps onto him like a boa constrictor. Yeah, with a sleeper hold. It's interesting as well because obviously yeah, you you mentioned he targets the uh, the neck and arm because of the neck being a previous match injury and the arm as as the match develops. But obviously, Shingo uses his forearm, his his neck and arms to generate the power for the pumping bomber. When he hits Last of the Dragon, it, it's a lift, so it needs the arm. So there's a, there's a defensive element to his aggressive attacking nature. But he's not doing it in a way that like comes across as like cowardly or seizing an opportunity like out of sheer panic. It, it is like a shark has smelled blood and is zeroing in. It's not like a wild animal just seeing seeing an opening and taking it. A frenzied animal in a corner is what I mean, sorry. Well, again, one of the things they like to do in these matches is they establish the strengths and the weaknesses at the beginning. And the strength of Takagi is his power, and so he overpowers Zack in a test of strength. It, you know, so, you know, the typical test of strength thing, and it's the simplest thing you can do. It's so simple, that's what Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior built, like, the first three minutes of their match with. (laughs) And it just tells you, Takagi's more powerful, but then what does Zack do? He wraps the arms around, he goes in behind, he stays in the knuckle lock, but instead of using it as a test of strength, he uses it as a point of joint manipulation and control to out-technique him and then immediately go for the neck, and Takagi backs off as quickly as possible. So it's like, Takagi's got the strength, Zack's got the technique, Zack knows that there's a weakness, and he goes after him. And then Zack does, but again, so often the story of Zack is that 
he brings himself into trouble with his own cockiness and taunting his opponent. Yeah. So he's controlling Takagi at the start, and then he does the kicks. His usual, they don't actually hurt, he's just trying to piss someone off because he's showing them how he's in complete control. And then Takagi knocks him down, like stuns him badly with one forearm. Just one forearm is all it takes. And so Zack immediately trips up Takagi and clamps on a head scissors on his neck and starts yeah. wrenching at it. He realised he'd done messed up. Absolutely, uh, like, afraid. Like, not afraid, but I think it, it's more, like you alluded to, uh, it's a reality check for him. Like, you're not... Yes, you're in control, but how much are you ever in control when you're taking on Shingo? A man with, like, such resilience, such staying power. But he has intellect as well, Takagi. He's never portrayed himself as like an IQ genius of the ring like Tanahashi, but there's thought in what he does. And he has the ability to outwit as well. Like at one point he faints going for a senton and Osprey clinches up to like knee him in the back. And so he just flattens him out and then hits the senton. Yeah. Or at another point in the match, he does... I was saying one of my favourite things in my favourite match of last year was the... Walter Dragunov match where Dragunov like sprints into the corner when Walter's climbing and immediately clamps him in for a suplex and takes him down and I said that I liked that he went from the second rope because the problem so often when people go to the top rope for yeah. a suplex when they're both on the top rope is there's always that second or two of them both trying to find their balance to make it a safe launching point but that takes you out of the moment moments yeah and it shows that it's like a negotiation the way takagi does his equivalent of cutting off zack and going for a superplex off the top rope is as close as i've seen to that being done as seamlessly as the way dragonov does it or the best example to me of a counter superplex is angle's sprint pop-up version yeah jumps and then he's usually balancing one foot on the second rope, one foot on the top rope and he's got them clamped in the belly to belly so it's like it's not a negotiation he's got him trapped and therefore he controls it and can take them over the top and it's a safe bump for both of them anyway Yeah, because the other guy's able to do a full somersault and then it's up to Kurt Angle to fork to land as carefully as he can (laughs) which sometimes he didn't bother with but you know that was Kurt Angle. The term no wasted motion is definitely one which for 95% of Zack Sabre Jr.'s offence definitely applies. But as you um, already referenced earlier on, the other 5% seems like it's wasted motion, those little mocking kicks. But what he's trying to do is win the mental battle. So even it, even when it looks like he's wasting time, he's not wasting time. There's, there's depth to that. There is, but the basic problem that Zack has is that he cannot strike. In It's like if you were to rank all the wrestlers in New Japan and you had them on their strengths and weaknesses like it was a fucking computer game or a top trumps, yeah. He would be top for submissions, top for techniques, bottom for strength and power, even though he has obviously put on some weight and that's been the story going into this tournament as well that he's got he's become bigger as uh he's you know more able to do more powerful moves i suppose he's vegan as well isn't he yeah that must make it a lot harder to go 10 i mean i know that oreos are vegan but you know you have to eat a lot of oreos to get (laughs) to to cultivate that much mass yeah (laughs) oh chickpeas 
good source of protein. Like, look, I, I'm no nutritionist, but yeah, it, it simply must be harder to. <laughs> if I was a nutritionist, you would question the certification process. <laughs> It's like seeing a skinny chef. Something's not quite right. <laughs> I'm no chef, though, which is the other weird part of it, too. <laughs> so, yeah, we were saying about how Osp- uh, Zack Sabre Jr. can always come up with a counter that will surprise someone. Like, he's always, if he's within reaching distance, you can be in trouble. Yeah. Takagi goes for a Tenru elbow in homage to one of his heroes. And he drops it, but as soon as he does, Sabre clasps the arm and turns it into a cross-arm breaker. And that's the start, I think that's the start of him switching his attack from Takagi's neck to Takagi's arm. And of course, another thing that you do with that is that you neutralise the pumping bomber. And as you said later on, he does hit the pumping bomber, but there is a delay between him yeah. hitting that, recovering, and going for the for the pin. And that was also a lot of the basis of Zach. That was basically the entire basis of... Um, Zack's attack on Okada in their yeah. title match was him going for the arm, but in the end, Okada still beating with the one Rainmaker. And I'd say one thing I will say in criticism to Zack Sabre Jr. He's the way he takes Rainmakers doesn't look good. He oh, like okay. kind of jumps up and it hits his chest, and it never looks that effective. Mm. I don't know why he does it like that. I saw that that was like how he finished at least two of the matches he's had with Okada for the IWGP title. Both the IWGP title matches with Okada have ended like that, with a kind of slightly shitty-looking... Jump uh, Rainmaker. Rainmaker. I don't know why he does it like that, but maybe that's how he likes to do it. They've know, all got... Being hit in the jaw. Yeah, some people have got foibles. Um, it's like Humberto Carrillo hitting the ropes the other way. Yeah, I mean... Um, well, it's funny, because you, know, you talk about the homogenised way of wrestling... I remember Colk Banner saying that he was criticised in a like a drill sequence in developmental because he didn't do the Irish whip where he's got one hand clasped on the wrist and one the other hand on the shoulder blade and propelling them there. Instead, what he did was the style of Don Morocco, who was his favourite wrestler growing up, where he would like double hold the wrist and propel them that way. Just proper yeet them, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, different horses for courses. I mean, um, if you're if you're like Big Show, that makes a lot of sense. I don't really know if like small, like if for no, I could see a giant doing that. Don Morocco, of course, being a big lad. But that was a detour. Another big lad is Shingo Takagi, and I was saying these two are guys are like master wrestlers with so many feathers to their bow. And I think this was, just as the Osprey-Sabre matches are great counter-sequences, and there's a lot of that as well in the Osprey-Takagi matches, there's so much of that in this match, even though it doesn't feel like they know each other that well. I think they've said they've had two matches so far. One in WXW, like, nine years earlier. And one in the G1 Climax. And I guess they then had the title match, so this would be the fourth match they've had with each other. So they're not like we've grown up together or anything, but there's so much clever counter-wrestling. And it's not so much that they know each other, it's just that they know wrestling. Yeah. And they know how to make counters to everything, essentially. Yeah, there's like a um, innate chemistry to them, you're right. And that just, like you say, it comes from the fact that Shingo maybe spent some time in Europe as well, so knows British wrestling a bit. He doesn't know Zack, but he knows British wrestling. Flip side, obviously, Zack being in New Japan knows the Japanese style very, very well. 
how about you could also argue it's almost like uh, the recent last weekend's Man City Liverpool game. These guys only play each other like two or three times a season. Two, usually three, if they draw them in a cup. Yeah, but they both know football so well that they just end up having a fantastic football match. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they both are uh, very wedded to their styles. And that has advantages and disadvantages against the other's style as well. I love that Zach changes things up. First it's neck, then it's arm, then it's cradles and pins. And then at the end it's just clamping on a sleeper and just not wanting to let go. Yeah. And this is another reminder of how great Takagi is selling a struggle in a submission hold. I've said before that I almost feel like the moment that they really truly got him and wanted to push him to the moon in New Japan was when he was the one person to make the money clip look good. (laughs) Now, now, well, yeah. And he does it as well in this one, that he's trying to fight out of it, and he he tries for a Samoan drop, but then Zack turns it into a triangle choke. Takagi tries to power out into the last dragon, but then Sabre just slips around, so he's behind him in a, like a, like, stood-up position, so we can then put in the sleeper hold and clamp his legs around him. Yeah. And Takagi going for the uh, climbing up the ropes and going to drop down. And again, I think this was something that they did in the Volta Ilya match as well, where in that one we were saying how Ilya's wrestling smart instead of wrestling tough, <clears throat> that he lets go so that he doesn't absorb the full impact of Volta. And again, that's what Zach does the one time that he lets go of the sleeper hold is when they're, they're in mid-fall. Yeah. So that, that means he's not got impressed against him absorbing the full impact of the blow. So that means that when he actually takes the blump, bump, he can immediately clamp it back on. He sort of can bounce with the momentum, use it yeah. sort of in his favour. And then Takagi does such a great point now where he's like, Zack is literally right on top of him, so you can't even see his face really. But then it's about the physical storytelling and movements, and you can see the struggle to get up and up and up and up. And then when it's like all... The moment he loses consciousness, it's immediate. He drops down onto like flat as a pancake. Yeah, and the ref calls for the bell almost immediately. And I do love the ref doing that UFC interference, getting him, getting Zach off as quickly as possible. Yeah, to to prevent any further damage. And again, maybe that plays into referees being wary of holding on, you know, making delayed decisions and causing extra, yeah, extra harm that's not needed. Yeah. And obviously, like the whole, so I was going to say, obviously the whole tournament-wide thing as well. I think Takagi is just such a brilliant mo- way of showing, you know, like how I said, he showed how the money clip can affect you. It's like making him increasingly drowsy as it's clamped on and applied and wrenched. He almost forces Okada to wrench it. Mm. With this one, he's showing the, the the gradual loss of, you know, consciousness. He's slipping out of consciousness, and he does it so well, and he gets across why Zack Sabre's dangerous to any opponent that, you know, they're, they're always in trouble when they're around Zack. Yeah. In, within clasping dis- distance, you know. Do you have anything else you want to add as far as the match itself? I was just going to sort of embellish on the point you're making there. In terms of, like, physical expression and selling, I, I'm struggling to think of many people that are better right now than Shingo Takagi. He makes everything look good he makes everything look like it makes sense he makes his opponents look better yeah well yeah the way he moves the way he like moves even the way he dodges moves it makes the opponent look good 
because there's a facial expression he pulls. Sort of, um, he does it quite early after the after the initial um, crank on his neck. He's like, oh nope, nope, don't like that. But he does it in a way of um, not being like too hammy or cartoonish. He does it in a way where he's like, okay, that plan didn't work. Let's try something else. <laughs> yeah, when he's in a match with a power wrestler like a Jeff Cobb, he will stagger and fall back from strikes in a way to make it show how good they are. Yeah. When he's against a technician like Hiroshi Tanahashi, he makes it show, or Zack Sabre Jr., he shows how they're physically breaking him down yeah. with their strategy, how their strategy is paying off. With Okada, he can do that thing of just being constantly overwhelmed by just the most naturally physically gifted wrestler in the whole world, mm. which is how Okada's presented. For whatever way you need your opponent to be presented, Takagi will do that job for you. Exactly. Which is why I think they thought he was a good hand to bring in originally. Because he will be in awe of Osprey's speed or whatever when it needs to be. Or, or who who needs, you know, what. Or he will be affected in a mental battle of wits with Tetsuya Naito. But as I said, he does all that and he's also a badass wrestler who can do tons of cool stuff. Yeah. And so they could have they could have kept him in that sort of Ishii role, which is what I thought he was designed for. But he was able to prove that he could go even further up. Maybe Ishii could never have gone that further up. Maybe Ishii had his niche that worked perfect for him in the mid-card. But Takagi came in and was who they built the promotion around for all of last year. Admittedly, so that he could then hand the torch back over to Okada for the 50-year celebration. Yeah. But... He's, you know, he's a made man now for the rest of his time in New Japan. I was going to say, yeah, like the, the future will... Will he hold the title again? There's a strong chance, I think, he will. I think in the pecking order, he's seen as below Okada, Osprey, and maybe more like on a level or maybe slightly lower than Naito, because he's still being led by Naito's faction. He doesn't have his own faction. Yeah. You know, the ones that have their faction are the ones with the higher status less so suzuki now because but that's because of the nature of suzuki goon yeah but you get where i'm coming from like we'll know if he's getting a an, another big push if he leaves if he leaves losinger benables and forms his own band yeah or team but then that would probably lead to a heel turn of some description so then we'll see what heels shingo takagi's we'll have to try and get some takagi dragon gates like you know because i said i you know the best match i've seen live was a shingo takagi match and he was only like three years into his career or something at that point oh that's true yes back in liverpool mm. so we'll have to look at how takagi works in what is more of a fast-paced high spots intense junior heavyweight style that is dragon gates where he must have really stood out as, like, the power wrestler guy, I suppose. Oh, God, yeah. Look at him and look at, like, the other Dragon Gate matches we've discussed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I took that for a match week. Although, apparently, Dragon Gate stuff's a little bit tougher to get access to compared to most other wrestling promotions. Um, so, we'll see what we can do. Obviously, we've got the Ring of Honor match, but Takagi wasn't in that. But we did have another Ring of Honor match that Takagi was involved in. But anyway. I think that will do us for this match. I wouldn't give it the five stars. I'd probably be somewhere hovering around the four and a quarter to four and a half. I think probably four and a half is where I would go. Maybe Simon. Um. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Not not the full five, but it's bloody good. And it it's to me because I, I I haven't seen the final as of yet. To me, it was another like sign of Zach could be potentially ready for the big time soon. Uh, obviously, they've not pulled the trigger yet, but. 
You never know. Let's see what his G1's like. If he reaches a G1 Climax final, maybe he reaches a G1 Climax final against Shingo Takagi. Yeah. We don't know yet. I mean, that final would slap as an option, but that it's, it's going to be an interesting G1 because of the flexibility they're now going to have comparatively, touch wood, and with the obstacle of what um, the unfortunate events of last year's final that they've got to overcome. I think they go all in booking wise on this G1 to try and blast that memory out of the out of the water. We'll be very curious to see if there are any guest performers in that tournament as one of my predictions made at the start the end of last year. I need to look into what I predicted at the end of last year cuz one of them could technically be right, but it's a real technicality. Um, yeah. But we'll see. But what do we got next week, Simon? Because the five stars have kept on rolling. They have. We are going back to WrestleMania weekend, but not for a WWE match. We are, in fact, seeing a pair of top guys take on Dem Boys, FTR, Briscoes, Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. The first ever five-star match for the Briscoe brothers as well. Yeah, so. it's quite it's quite a shocking one when you think about lot there, but we'll talk about them as a pairing. I'm assuming in the next episode. But if people want to talk to you in the time between these two episodes, Simon, how can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of vertebrae that Zack Sabre Junior tried to like fuse by force into Shingo. My name is Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as in Zack Sabre's key attack plan, which was Attack Neck. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you want to help us find a way to finance getting our hands on Dragon Gate wrestling matches, then by all means go to our patreon.com slash lmtyspod and put a few pennies down our way. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.